We'll be in Psalm 117 this morning. Psalm 117, beginning in verse 1. Praise the Lord, all nations. Laud Him, all peoples. For His loving kindness is great toward us, and the truth of the Lord is everlasting. Praise the Lord. Let's pray. Lord, we thank You that You have given us a song to sing today. That You have given us joy within our hearts that comes from the cross at Calvary. And Lord, we ask that You would overwhelm us with Your joy this morning. Fill us with Your presence today. And help us to see Your Son in this text. And Lord, would You use me simply as a mouthpiece for Your Word. Speak through me what You would have Your people to know and to hear today. And Lord, once You've used me as a mouthpiece, get me out of the way. And let Your Son shine brightly for the people to see. And I pray this in the powerful and holy name of Christ. Amen. Psalm 117, you'll notice, is a very short psalm. In fact, it is the shortest of all psalms. Not only is it the shortest of all psalms, it is also the shortest of all chapters in the Bible. From Genesis to Revelation, this chapter, Psalm 117, is the shortest chapter. Not only is it the shortest chapter and the shortest psalm, it is the exact center point of all of Scripture. This single chapter is the center of Scripture. There are 594 chapters before Psalm 117, and there are 594 chapters following Psalm 117. This is the exact center of Scripture. And this is not by mistake. It's not by coincidence. It's not by chance that this has happened, but it is by divine appointment. It is by the sovereign plan of God that He put this psalm in the center, in the very heart of Scripture. And it's because Psalm 117 tells us very simply what we often try to overcomplicate. We often try to overcomplicate and muddy up what is central to the Christian faith. But what is at the heart of Christianity, what is central to the Christian faith, is what is spoken of here in Psalm 117. It is worship. Worship is at the heart, is at the center of Christianity. It is at the heart of everything that we are to do and be if we are in Christ. It is worship. And King David here is going to tell us what it looks like to worship and to sing praises to our God. And I want to note three simple points in this text. First is the exclusivity of Christ. The exclusivity of Christ. Note with me in verse 1. Psalm 117, verse 1. The psalmist, presumably King David here, and if you'll remember, King David was high and lifted up. King David was a strong man. King David had led Israel to do many great things. King David was the very same one who slayed the giant who was Goliath. King David had a lot of things going for him. But yet King David realized that he was not the ultimate king. King David realized that there was a king of kings. And David is going to remind us here in Psalm 1 just who we are to praise. 
He's going to dispel any kind of thoughts that Israel might have had that they were to praise David. David says, don't praise me. Don't give me glory. Don't give me worship. I'm going to tell you who you need to worship. And David says in verse 1, Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. All nations. Laud Him all peoples. David does not call upon people to worship a God. He does not call upon people even to worship the highest of all the gods as though our God were just numbered among a plethora of gods or among a plurality of gods. But David says, worship the Lord. Praise the Lord. What is known here, this word the, is used in this text and it is known grammatically as a particular accusative. In other words, it leaves no room for any sort of replacement of the noun that follows it. In other words, what David is saying is not just praise the Lord, but he's asking the question, the rhetorical question, who else would you praise? Who else would you give worship to but the God of the Bible? There is no other person who is worthy of our worship, no other thing who is worthy of our praise except for the one true and living God, the God of the Christian Scriptures. And so David here says, praise the Lord. We are called to worship the Lord, the ruler. We are called to worship Yahweh, the Trinitarian Godhead of the Christian Scriptures, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. This is who we are called upon this morning to worship and to sing praises to. We are called not to worship God plus something else. We are called to cast aside all of our self-worship, all of our idols, all of our little g-gods that we would place in, in precedence over our life. And so I would ask you this morning, as you sit here in this room, are drugs your life? Is alcohol consuming more, you more than you consume alcohol? Is your job, your vocation, your career, is it everything to you? You're always just hoping for the next promotion and the next dollar raise. Do you cling this morning to being well-known and well-liked amongst your community? What has your attention? What has your energy? What has your finances? What has you? We are being called upon by the psalmist here to worship only one. If you'll turn with me back to Exodus chapter 34. Exodus 34, verse 14. We'll see in Exodus 34, verse 14, that God says, For you shall not worship any other God, for the Lord, whose name is Jealous, is a jealous God. Very simply, we would do well to remember often the first two commandments of the Ten Commandments. Number one is you shall have no other gods before the God of the Bible. There should be no other gods, no other things that, that uh, demand your worship and call for you to give them praise except for the God of the Bible. And the second is you shall have no idols. You shall not put anything above and before God or even on the same plane as God. And what we're told here in Psalm 117 verse 1 is that there is nothing and no one but God and God alone who is worthy of our worship today. Our praise is not fit for created things. Our worship is not, be, not to be given to lesser things than our Creator. And it is not enough merely to worship. 
We are not simply called to give praise and to leave it hanging in the air, giving praise to whatever comes along and say, oh, praise this and I'll worship this. But we are called to worship God and God alone. Our praise is to be unashamedly and unmistakably fixated on Christ alone. It is Christ alone who has borne our sins. It is Christ alone who has atoned for us. It is Christ alone who became the spotless and perfect Lamb on our behalf to go to the cross at Calvary to be slain in our place which we deserved. It was Christ alone who intercedes on our behalf. It is Christ alone who gives us salvation. Beloved, it is Christ alone who sustains us where we sit this morning. And so no one but Christ alone is worthy of our praise. And what we find here It's the very same thing that Jesus Himself will tell us in Matthew 6, verse 24. When He says that no one can serve two masters. For either He will hate the one and love the other, or He will be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and possessions. So if you're coming to church on Sunday, living a little bit like a Christian, but then you live twice as much like the devil on Monday as you ever did like Christ on Sunday, beloved, you have much to be concerned about this morning. You cannot worship two gods or two idols. In 1 Kings chapter 18, Elijah asks the people, how long are you going to go on limping between two opinions? If you're going to serve God, serve Him. If you're going to serve Baal and the false gods, serve them. But don't pretend to be worshiping God while you're also worshiping other things. Who do you worship today? We're told here, to praise the Lord. Divided praise, divided worship is misguided worship. We cannot divide our attention between God and lesser things. And so then we should make no mistake about it that there is only one audience of our praise and only one deserving of all of creation's worship. And it is this God who reveals Himself in the Scriptures that are before us. And so all idolaters are called to turn away from their false gods. The Buddhists are called to turn away from Buddha. The evolutionists are called to cease from their worship of man-made ideas. The sexual revolutionists are called to put aside their false worship. And you and I who are here this morning are called to put aside anything and everything that would take our focus off of Christ because He and He alone is worthy of your worship today. And if you've forgotten that somewhere along the way, be reminded today that what is at the very heart of Christianity, what is at the very center of it all, is worship of God. The second point I want us to see here is the extent of the call. The extent of the call. Go with me to Psalm 117, verse 1 again. Praise the Lord. And what follows that? What follows the comma in your Bible? Does it say, praise the Lord some people? Praise the Lord just those of you who feel like He's worthy of it? Praise the Lord majority of people? Or even praise the Lord most people? Praise the Lord 99.9% of people? No. Praise the Lord all nations. All people at all times and in all places are called upon to worship this one true and living God. There is no room given for some who can worship another God and just get by doing that. 
There was one popular preacher, a televangelist who was on Larry King some years ago, who was asked the question, do you believe that Jesus is the only way to heaven? Do you believe all of this that you teach, that Jesus is the only means of salvation? Do you really believe that? And he said, I don't know. I know some Muslims who are really well-intentioned. I know the Buddhists love the Lord. I don't know. I'm not here to judge. But let me remind you this morning, beloved, that the only people who will make it into the gates of heaven are those who worship the One who will be there. If you desire heaven but you don't desire to be with Christ, then you won't be in heaven. Only those who desire to be with Christ, who love Him and who want to praise Him for all of eternity as praises ring in the gates of heaven, those people will be the ones who are in heaven. Those will be the ones who are welcomed. And it is said to them, well done, my good and faithful servant. Welcome in for all of eternity. Simply put, if you're not worshiping God here, you should not expect for a moment to swing out out into eternity. And spend eternity with Him, worshiping Him there. It is this one true and living God who all people are to worship. And in verse 1, He says, Praise the Lord, all nations. This word that's used here is uh, in the Hebrew, in the Old Testament uh, language, it is umah. In the New Testament language, which was Greek, the Old Testament would be translated into what is known as the Septuagint, which was a Greek translation of the Hebrew, and this word is ethnos, which is the word from which we get ethnicities. We hear much talk today about racism, but the Bible affirms that there is only one race, the human race, that we are all made in the image of God. And so this verse here is not regarding us as those who are dividing us between skin colors and different shades of the same color, but this text is calling upon all ethnicities, upon everyone from sea to shining sea, from one globe, from one hemisphere to the other hemisphere, from every nation to every nation, for all people to worship this one God. Even if we have nothing else in common, we can have this one thing in common that we are called upon to worship God. True worship will breed true reconciliation. It will breed true community, true fellowship. You and I may have nothing in common with each other except that we love the Lord. And if that's all we have in common with each other, then that's plenty enough for us to spend eternity together. But David doesn't leave it there. He doesn't just say, praise the Lord all nations. Speaking broadly. But then he focuses in. He narrows in his call to worship. In this second clause in verse 1, laud him all peoples. And so in other words, it says, though David is saying, praise him America. Praise him all the people of the United States. But then he zooms in even closer and he says, Praise Him, all the people who are within the sound of my voice. If you have ears to hear this morning, you are called upon to worship God. And not just to worship Him with your words. Not just to worship Him with lip service, but to give Him praise with all of your life. To worship Him in everything that you do. 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 31 says, Whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do it all. 
as unto the glory of God. Do everything you do for the glory of God. Raise your children for the glory of God. Train your grandchildren for the glory of God. Go to work with the thought on your mind that I want to display Christ in this workplace. Everywhere you go and everything you do, let it be for the praise of God and not for the praise of self. Wayne Grudem, in his book, Systematic Theology, would define worship and praise as the activity of glorifying God in His presence with our voices and our hearts. In other words, worship is active. Worship is the disposition of a life, a mind, a heart that has been transformed by God. Turn with me just a few chapters ahead from Psalm 117 to Psalm 148. Psalm 148. Psalm 148, beginning in verse 1. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord from the heavens. Praise Him in the heights. Praise Him, all His angels. Praise Him, all His hosts. Praise Him, sun and moon. Praise Him, all stars of light. Praise Him, highest heavens and the waters that are above the heavens. Let them praise the name of the Lord. For He commanded and they were created. He has also established them forever and ever. He has made a decree which will not pass away. Praise the Lord from the earth. Sea monsters and all deeps, fire and hail, snow and clouds, stormy wind, fulfilling His word, mountains and all hills, fruit trees and all cedars, beasts and all cattle, creeping things and winged fowl, kings of the earth and all peoples, princes and all judges of the earth, both young men and virgins, old men and children, let them praise the name of the Lord. For His name alone is exalted. His glory is above earth and heaven. And He has lifted up a horn for His people. Praise for all His godly ones, even for the sons of Israel, a people near to Him. Praise the Lord. Now I'd say Psalm 148 just about covers everyone and everything on the face of planet earth. And what the psalmist does is he calls everyone and everything to give praise to our God. And here's the reason. Look with me at Psalm 148 verse 14. And He has lifted up a horn for His people. This is a word that might be lost on us because of our common vernacular in today's generation. But what this word means is that He has raised up a person who will save us. He has raised up a scapegoat. He has raised up a Messiah. He has raised up a spotless and perfect Lamb on our behalf. And that spotless and perfect Lamb on our behalf is the Lord Jesus Christ. And He has come to be a horn of salvation for His people. He has come to buy us back to God. He has come to pay the penalty that we were due to pay. For the wages of sin is death, and each and every one of us deserves death. And yet Christ took it on our behalf. And that is reason enough to worship Him today. That brings us to our third and final point this morning. The excellencies of God's character. The excellencies of God's character. In verse 1, the psalmist David says, Praise the Lord, all nations. Laud Him, all peoples. And then he gives us the reason. He gives us two reasons for which we are called upon to worship God. This word for in verse 2. It's what's known as a conjunctive syntam. It connects verse 1 to verse 2. 
it gives explanation to the command that David has given in verse 1. And it says, here's why I gave you that command. I told you to worship God, but I'm not just going to tell you to worship Him and say, just worship Him. I just told you to, so do what I say. But David actually gives us reasons to worship God. And if you're here this morning and you need a reason, a reason to worship God, perk up and listen to what David will tell us in verse 2 because he's going to give us two reasons to worship God. The first is His love. The love of God. Four, praise Him. Give Him worship because of this. Four, verse 2. For His loving kindness is great toward us. In the King James Version, it will say His merciful kindness is great toward us. But in the New American Standard Bible, which I'm reading from, it says His loving kindness is great toward us. The first of these two reasons that David gives us to worship God is His love. There's an old southern gospel song that says, Build castles tall enough to reach the sky above. If you can know everything there was to know about life's gain, yet, you have, yet you've known nothing until you've known God and His love. Until you've known the loving hand that reaches down to fallen man and lifts him up from out of sin where he has trod. Until you've known just how it feels to know that God is really real. Then you've known nothing until you've known the love of God. And so you may know all the things of God. You may know correct theology. You may know the Bible from front to back. But if you don't have a personal relationship with God, a saving relationship by and through the love of God poured out upon the cross at Calvary and your faith placed in that love, then you do not know the Lord. We need a saving relationship with the Lord. We need to personally know the love of God. And David here, says one of the reasons to worship God is that His love is great toward us. Sometimes I'm difficult to love. You can ask my wife, but don't ask her too much. She'll tell you too much. Sometimes I'm difficult to love. Sometimes I'm difficult to even so much as like. Sometimes I'm difficult even to tolerate. And yet God loves me perfectly. And maybe you're sitting here this morning, and if you're honest with yourself, maybe you're saying, hey, I'm difficult to love sometimes too. But God loves you perfectly. Amen. And He loves you in the person and work of Jesus Christ. And He loved you in this way, John 3.16, For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son, that whoever shall believe in Him shall not perish but have eternal life. And sometimes we misplace the emphasis on that word so, and we say, oh, God loves us so much. Notice this. But that's not the way that word is to be used. The actual proper way that word is to be understood is that God loved us in this way. For God loved us in this way. God displayed His love for you and me in sending His only begotten Son to die upon the cross, to die the death that we deserve 10,000 times over. To have the nails pierced into His hands. And as He would hang upon the tree, He would pull himself up to gasp for air and fall down again and the nails would drive deeper into his hands and he did that for you and for me. He did that for his people. Go with me to Matthew chapter 1. Matthew chapter 1. Verses 21 through 23. She will bear a son and you shall call his name Jesus. 
for He shall save His people from their sins. Now all this took place to fulfill what was spoken by the Lord through the prophet. Behold, the virgin shall be with child and shall bear a son, and they shall call His name Emmanuel, which translated means God with us. And notice that the prophecy is not that Jesus will come and go upon the cross at Calvary hoping that some people will accept Him. He did not go to the cross at Calvary hoping that His death would accomplish something. But He went to the cross at Calvary knowing full well that all of the prophecies of old would be fulfilled and would be yes and amen in Him. And it says, not that He came that He might, could, should, or would save people from His sins. But it says in verse 21, for He came that He shall save His people from their sins. Jesus came not as a would-be Savior. Jesus came as the Savior of people from sins. And if you are saved in Christ this morning, then He has done a miraculous work in you of saving you, of cleaning you up, of making you new and turning you into something you weren't once before so that you could sing the praises of praise God for what He's done for me for all of eternity. That is what God has done. He is not a would-be Savior. He is the Savior. And if you're saved in Him this morning, beloved, you have something to sing about. We need to stop walking around looking defeated and dismayed. Victory is in Jesus. Victory is in Jesus. And notice with me, going back to Psalm 117, verse 2. It doesn't just say His love is great. Oh, don't miss this. It doesn't just say, hey, the love of God is really good. The love of God is really great. The love of God is really wonderful. I wish you knew something about it. Notice what it says. For His love and kindness is great toward us. God does not just love. God loves you. God loves His children. And praise God for it. Praise God for His love toward me today. In Romans chapter 5, verses 6 through 8, Paul says, For while we were still helpless, at the right time Christ died for the ungodly. For one would hardly die for a righteous man, though perhaps for the good man someone would dare even to die. But God demonstrates His own love toward us, and that while we were still yet sinners, Christ died for us. If the love of God is not enough to cause us to praise Him, we need to check ourselves for holes in our heart this morning. The love of God, the pardoning mercy, the favorable grace of God toward us is enough to cause us to sing praises to Him as the ages roll on. So even if the bills are piling up, we know that His mercy is greater than our debts. Even when loneliness and depression creep in, His love sustains us. Even if the surgeon utters that dreaded word, inoperable, you can find comfort in the grace of God. No matter what the circumstance, the trial, or the sorrow, you can find rest, hope, peace, and mercy in Christ and in Christ alone. And that, beloved, is enough to sing praises to Him. Even if you don't feel like it sometimes, remember the love of God and that will cause you to praise Him. The second thing that David says here is the truth of God. 
is reason to praise Him. Psalm 117, verse 2, For His loving kindness is great toward us, and the truth of the Lord is everlasting. Praise the Lord. Praise God because of His truth. Give Him honor. Give Him worship. Give Him glory. Sing praises to Him because of His truth. Now, I don't mean to get political this morning, but if we pay any attention to politics today, we'll notice that finding people who are going to tell the truth is pretty difficult. Finding people who will tell the truth is very few and far between. And what's damaging today What's discouraging today, what keeps me up at night, is to know that even in many of the pulpits across the world today, that the truth is not being spoken. Even in many pulpits today, the truth has gone out. And so even many pastors, you have to wonder if they're they're telling you the truth. But not so with God. You never have to wonder if what God has said is true. He has always fulfilled His promises to me. And I don't know about you, but He's never failed me. Has He ever failed you yet? I'm sure He hasn't and He won't start now. God's promises are always yes and amen. And His truth is a reason to praise Him. In Psalm 12, we're told that God's words are pure words like silver refined seven times in a furnace. His words are tested and true. In Isaiah chapter 40, we're told that all else is going to pass away. All of the grass of the fields, everything else is going to pass away. But the Word of the Lord shall stand forever. And if you are looking for truth today in a truthless age, you are looking for truth today in an age which tells you that you can be one gender one day and another gender the next day and that marriage doesn't matter and you can kill kids in the womb because they're not really kids and we're called the crazy ones. If you're looking for truth today, don't look on the media for it. Don't go to Facebook for it. Don't go to Instagram for it. Don't go to Twitter for truth. Don't go to the news for truth. Go to the Word of God for the truth. The Word of God is true today just as it was true forever before us. And it will be true from generation to generation. And There is no altering, no editing, and no changing that needs to be made today. This Word of God is true. And you can find comfort in that. And that is reason to worship Him. As we come to a close this morning, and as our singers come forward to lead us in a call to worship, I want to read to you what Dr. John MacArthur says on worship. Worship is our innermost being responding with praise for all that God is through our attitudes, actions, thoughts, and words based on the truth of God as He has revealed Himself. Worship is directly correlated to understanding. The richer your theology, the more full your grasp of biblical truth, the more elevated your worship becomes. So I would ask you today, in this morning's revival service, where is your heart today? Where is your mind today? Where is your time? Where is your energy? Where are your finances? Where are you this morning? If you're not trusting in the person and work of Christ, there is salvation to be found in the cross. And Christ is alive and well today, calling upon each and every one of us to worship Him. And I would plead with you this morning, preaching as a dying man to dying men, 
Put aside all the other things that you're worshiping and worship this one true and living God. Let's pray. Father, I thank You for who You are. I thank You that You have sent Your Son to do and to be what I could never do and be for myself. That You have sent Your Son to save. And that Your Son went to the cross and went to the grave to bury my sins there. But that He arose three days later. Victorious and triumphant over sin, death, and the grave. To apply that victory to my life. And I praise You for it. Amen.